0: My name is Mary Conquest. I'm your host for Safety Labs by Slice, the podcast where we explore the human side of safety to support safety professionals. We move past regulations and reportables to talk about the core skills of safety leadership. Empathy, influence, trust, rapport. In other words, the soft skills that help you do the hard stuff. Hi there. Welcome to Safety Labs by Slice. Almost every safety professional needs to perform some kind of training at some point in their career. There are about a million different ways to train, purposes for training, and tools to get your messages across. So how do you know if you're doing the most effective training possible? Dr. Suzanne Bonn is co-founder of Tap Into Safety, a consultancy that specializes in safety training. And she's here today to talk to me about what she's learned about the art of effective training. Dr. Bonn has published over 50 journal articles in her 10 years of research, and has worked as a safety consultant for 15 years. Her specific expertise focuses on induction deafness, risk blindness, and risk management. Dr. Bonn holds a PhD in business specializing in health and safety management, a master's in human resource management, a bachelor of education, and a graduate certificate in higher education. Sue joins us today from Perth in Western Australia. Welcome.
1: Hi, Mary. Oh, it's such a privilege to be on the SLICE podcast. Thank you very much for the opportunity.
0: Well, thank you for joining us. Um, I'm excited to talk about training. I'm from a family of teachers and education is, is kind of a fascinating thing to me. So you've been actively involved in safety for a number of years now. And I'm wondering whether in that time you've seen any shifts in how training is viewed or practiced in the safety profession. Mm. Have you know, methods or approaches changed much since you started your career?
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's a forever moving feast. Um, I've been involved in training for since I was 20 because I started as a teacher as well. And then Mm. went into my own business and then we went into a safety consultancy with my husband, my partner, and then decided to do some higher education and do a master's PhD and and went along the way of um, looking at safety and adult learning because I really felt we could do things better than what we were doing because what we were doing back then was, you know, death by PowerPoint. So Mm. just putting someone in a room, that was the latest fancy tech thing was just to put PowerPoint after PowerPoint. No one knew how to prepare a PowerPoint properly, so there was just hundreds and hundreds of words crammed into one slide. (laughs) No one could read it and listen to someone at the same time as, you know, we're just not that good because what was on there wasn't that, or they'd put it all on the slide and then they'd just read the slide. So, (laughs) what's the point? Just give me a book. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, they didn't pay any attention to literacy or education really or... How adults learn, which we know as we've gone through, particularly in the last, I'd say a decade, but maybe before that, we realize adults learn differently. We don't all learn the same. So some of us, you know, are visual. We'd like to see a visual cue and an explanation. Some of us like to listen as they are with this podcast. Otherwise, we wouldn't have podcasts, would we? <laughs> really? Others like to read and are quite happy to read volumes of, of information. Others like a combination of any of those or all of those. And then when you bring in literacy and perhaps English, I'm I'm using English as not a first language and, you know, they're not native English speakers, well, then you've got a difficulty. And then the other piece is you rely on a trainer to be, you know, upbeat and delivering the same message consistently all the time. And that just doesn't work because when you're training, you actually, depends on the day and it's always different every time it's different. Yeah, things have changed. So what what's changed? Well, people have become more interactive. They like gaming. Gaming is helping. They like VR. VR has been going for, what, 30 years. Augmented reality. Video learning. Everyone likes to watch a movie. Micro learning. So small bursts so that you get key points across. So all of this has sort of happened in the last, not VR, VR 30 years ago, but you know, in the last 10 years, it's really changed, really, really changed.
0: I would say even though, even if VR existed, I don't think, was it widely adopted in the last 10 years? No, no.
1: And you know what? It still isn't, Mary, because it's so expensive. That's true. (laughs) It's so expensive. So, you know, most organizations can't afford to get a, a VR 3D model drawn because of the hours it takes. It's only for the very wealthy industries and pretty wealthy companies, I think. So, yeah, they've got to work out how to make it cheaper. But anyway.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure they will. They have with everything else. Yes. <laughs> Every other tech. So why did you choose to specialize in training? What what aspect of training interests you the most?
1: I guess we chose to specialize in training for safety, which is where we started way back probably, probably about 12 years ago when I was still working for the university. We noticed that um there was a, just a plateau in in injury at the time, you know, for 5 years nothing changed. Same number of injuries, same number of fatalities. We just weren't getting there. And quite frankly, it's exactly the same now. It still hasn't changed. <laughs> and we're another 12 years down the track. It's pretty well plateauing the same way. We still got the same problem. So my interest was, you know, how do we get really, really boring, legalistic, text-heavy health and safety because that's what was happening. Everyone was bringing in a lot of a lot of stuff and no one was going back to the basics of just how do we keep yourself safe and others safe on the work site? And how do we then deliver training that can get that message across, keep the business compliant, but actually educate the worker, and I hate the word worker, so I often say employee or team or something, safe while they're doing the work that they've got to do. So that was was our interest was, you know, just how do we make this more, palatable for the end user, but at the same time, save time for the business and help the business be compliant. So yeah, so we just sort of fell into that area. <laughs> this, this was a gap. There's a gap.
0: It sounds like a, a drive to do better, right? You, yes, you saw yes. there can be improvement here and, mm, and mm. Uh, you'd like to improve.
1: I was sick of seeing more statistics, mm. more people being injured, more people you know dying on the workplace because of a lack of knowledge. And I was sick of seeing the rise in mental health well-being incidents if you like for whatever we want to call them i was just i was just really unhappy with how people were not doing well mm-hmm. so that's our altruistic view <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so some people might say that learning is learning yeah. and the tool you use whether it's a lecture a handbook a video or an online course doesn't really matter so is there such thing as selecting the right medium for each training situation or is that overthinking it?
1: Yes and no. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> yes. Um, there's a lot of training that requires theory and then practical demonstration. So therefore that's that one size. How you deliver that theory is up to you. I definitely don't believe in PowerPoint at all. I think PowerPoints should be used for presentations, perhaps for, yeah, just for presentations, which is really what they were designed for, just to give you key headings so that you could talk around them really. Mm -hmm. I think when you uh, place an employee in front of 25, 48 or 120 slides, which is what I see all the time, and just go through slide after slide and just talk and have so much text on them, I actually feel that's abuse. (laughs) You're abusing the person because you're asking them to sit through something that they just don't even relate to or simply don't want to or can't even fathom what they're supposed to be taking in. And um, I also think it's high risk because research tells us after the first seven minutes in a PowerPoint presentation, they're already thinking about the weekend. Yeah. They've drifted. They've gone. You haven't actually got their attention any at all. So really, what's the point? So you're failing.
0: You're not saving lives that way.
1: No, no, no. You're failing in your duty of care because they didn't understand or listen or hear or know or want to know. That's what you're actually supposed to do. Make sure that they're okay. (laughs) So (laughs) that's not making sure they're okay. That's just getting through the topic because we have to. Pointless waste of time. Pointless. Yeah, so you're saying different mediums for different things? Yes, I believe so. If you're trying to reinforce a safety message, I really think micro learning, short burst of learning, video training is a good way. It gives you an example, shows you, hopefully reinforces a message. If you have to do something that demonstrates compliance and capability and competency, well then you know, you've got to do something that's face to face, a safety observation. If you need to give them some real heavy information, that's probably as a book or some notes, or so on. If you need to do a presentation and show something, yes, do PowerPoint, put it on with not too many words on those slides, and just give them the key piece. So yes, it's definitely not one-size-fits-all to training.
0: I would think that more times than not, people could probably simplify the message. 100%. Yeah, just based on you know trainings and webinars I've seen. One of your specialty areas is online learning. So this is obviously newer, although not that new anymore. It seems new to me. (laughs) I grew up without it, but more and more workers have uh, grown up with it. It offers more interaction than straight video training. What do you think is unique to online learning and what makes it exciting to you as a professional?
1: Look, online learning is is a good way to succinctly deliver a message, which is what we said, and to simplify it. It also enables you to show really good examples without actually putting someone at the coalface right in the middle of it before they go. So that's a good thing. It's often less expensive, which means organizations can do more of it and therefore repeat that same message over and over, which is what we need. We need to hear something seven times before we remember it. So that's another piece. And it also allows the learner to have some building blocks one step at a time with online learning, particularly if you use a micro learning methodology. So that helps. If you can bring some interactivity into it, you know, like we use panoramic scenes in a game and, you know, you find hazards and you make it a bit fun because safety is so boring. So you've got to make it fun. And if you could use some AR in there, that's great because that's gaming again. People engage. That's the key to training, engagement. If you can use some VR and that works for you, that's good too. So yeah, online's the way to go. It's also one really key point on online, it's consistent. Mm. Everyone's getting the same. So you're not relying on a trainer. You're not relying on the day. You're not relying on interpretation of what's on that slide. It's clearly there.
0: Just as we're talking about this and and newer technologies, do you ever see a difference, uh, like a generational difference in how people... Take on newer types of learning, or do you think it's just? I mean, we have been using the internet for quite a while now.
1: Yeah. Look, I, I think you know the way I was trained. You know, because I'm—I'll declare I'm 60. We don't learn the same way, or didn't get trained the same way as our younger people now. And I believe that younger people don't have the same tolerance of poor training <laughs> delivery. Ah. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> They've, then, yeah, well, yeah.
1: They're not engaged. They're not listening. They're not interested. You know, they—I believe it's probably my only, only my opinion—but they're looking for entertainment as well. So engage me, um, yeah. Because I mean, let's face it: that they're they're watching, you know, things like you know Netflix and Prime and whatever else there is there all the time. They're playing games. You know, they're really engaged in that sort of way. If we don't bring the training to the way that they're used to consuming information and so on, and they're all over YouTube and TikTok and all this stuff, right? They're always there. You've got to start, you've got to bring the training to them, not expect them to come back the way we
0: did it. I think they're primed a little bit, especially, you know, when, when someone wants to learn a, a new skill. YouTube and TikTok are, oh, yeah. you know, the first stop for many people, including myself.
1: Oh, and me. <laughs> straight yeah. away, get the YouTube <laughs> video. How do you put this thing up? <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know? exactly. Yes, exactly. And see, look, that's just straight out video learning, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's not bringing a PowerPoint slide up and come and sit in the classroom and listen to this. Ah. Uh-uh. That's, I'm going to show you, visually show you in a in a video methodology and then I'm going to make, and you're going to apply that knowledge because you're going to actually do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm even going to ask you questions along the way because I want to make sure you understand if you did this, you get that, you know, so it's an assessment really, mm, believe yeah. it or not, but it's a loose assessment.
0: Yeah. And the other thing I, I like about videos, you can pause and you can go back. Yes. What did they say? Or let me see that again. Yeah. I think people are reluctant to maybe ask that in an in person training. They don't want to take the whole class back to hear the one thing they missed. But
1: whoa, well, you, you can't in a lecture, can you? Mm-hmm. In a big lecture, it's very, or, you know, presentation. How do you put your hand up in the middle of it while the presenter's doing what they're doing? Mm-hmm. Hang on a second. I didn't quite understand that. You have to wait to the end. Yeah. By the time you get to the end, I don't know about you. I can't remember the question I was going to ask. Yeah, <laughs> I've forgotten. Yeah, what was it that I was worrying about? I can't remember that because I'm I've, I've gone along with the rest of the of what you've been telling me. So, no, that's flawed. It's not the way to go. <laughs> no, <laughs> particularly when it's high risk stuff, right? Yeah, safety of course, stuff. Yeah, compliance stuff. You know, um, leadership supervision stuff. You need to be able to go back. You need to be able to question. You need to be able to apply. You actually need to be able to pause for a second and think about it, mm-hmm. and that you can't do in that other type of delivery.
0: Yeah, With online learning, you've, you've touched on a few of these things, but there are some ways, I'm sure, to sort of do it right or to do it wrong. Can you comment on what features to look for that would make an online program effective or ineffective?
1: I'll start with the ineffective. What we saw when we first went onto online was to simply take our death by PowerPoint slides and put them onto a learning management system. And then at the end, give everybody just a, an assessment, which might've been on a piece of paper because often the LMS couldn't accommodate question and answer. Or if it does, it's at the end, there's all these questions, right? Which are not great. Often multiple choice, can't fail type multiple choice. Mm -hmm. So the problem with that is, once again, you're just relying on people to read these slides and interpret them. And you might have some audio, but you might not. So it's just death by PowerPoint in a different delivery. And also with the questions at the end, if they're multiple choice like that where you can't fail, well, what's the point? There's, there's mm, no yeah. point. <laughs> you can't see what they don't know. If you can't see what they don't know, you can't go back and correct or help to coach afterwards. Mm-hmm. To me, that's wrong. And there's a lot of learning management systems out there that say to safety managers, hey, you know, build your own training. And all the safety manager does is just load up the PowerPoint slide straight back in because they're not designers. They're not trainers. They're not they're safety managers. That's their role, right? <laughs> so, they have no idea. Yeah. So, they fail. So, the way that I feel that online learning works is using video, AR, VR, using inbuilt assessments along the way, incremental little assessment along the way, strip it back to the basics. There's no need to have all these words and all this stuff. Give them a practical explanation an example, show them, which is why YouTube works so well. And yeah, it doesn't have to take ages. It can be done quickly. micro is definitely a way we can do one thing at a time, reinforce a message often and quickly. Yeah, there's, there's just better ways. Gaming, if you can do it, if you've got the ability to do it, but also, you know, using VR and games, That needs a facilitator. It needs a training room, needs someone to help them actually do that training. Mm -hmm. Expensive, very expensive. You know, organizations, particularly, you know, smaller, medium, even larger, they just don't have the budget. And therefore what happens is they do this one burst of fancy training, as in, sorry, VR training fancy. I call it because it's expensive (laughs) and they do that once a year. But wouldn't it be better to do smaller video often? Mm-hmm. You know, because that's how we teach in school. That's how we teach in children, little steps at a time. We're not yeah. any different as adults, you know.
0: Actually, that leads right into my next question, which was I wanted you to talk to me a little bit more about micro learning. So, what is it? Why is it important? And where does it fit into sort of the larger online learning world?
1: Mm. There's different thoughts on micro learning. A lot of people think micro learning is just like, Ten seconds, fifteen-second message on your phone as a text—that's one way. That's kind of like an alert message. Others realize that microlearning could be like, um, you know, like a, a ten-minute course or a five-minute course, which has got a video and a little bit of assessment to reinforce. And that's how we use it. Uh, sometimes it can be a one-minute, two-minute video with a little assessment. You know, those sorts of things. It works really well because if you drill down into a topic, let's just say. Manual handling, right? Everybody knows that manual handling, biggest cause of injury throughout the world, hasn't changed. Generally, half of the injuries that workers have are around lifting something they shouldn't have lifted and there's poor manual handling. There's strain, sprain, you know, so on, overreaching, all the rest of it. If you were to be able to put a two minute video in front of someone to show them if they have to lift something, and we hope they don't, because we hope they're going to use a mechanical aid, but they can't always. If they have to lift it, how do you do it without harming yourself? The first thing is you need to assess how heavy it is. You know, can I actually lift it in the first place? So Mm. things like that, reinforcing the basic, basic stuff. If you can do that in two minutes, five minutes, I think that's far more effective. Then trying to put someone in a classroom and talk about how many manual handling injuries we've had and what the causes of manual handling are. And do you push it or do you pull it? or and It just goes on and on. Just, just this is how you do it if you have to. Surely that's just YouTube again, in a way, mm-hmm. isn't it, really? <laughs> and so that's what microlearning is.
0: Would that be sort of compatible with the idea of an app?
1: You could. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Again, that might be a bit expensive for, for some organizations, but, yes, indeed. but it's a thought. So,
1: yeah. you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that because there's training platforms out there that deliver video training, which can show you all of these pieces. However, there's a lot of training platforms out there that do it badly or they're just a video. So, you might as well just do it off YouTube. And a lot of them already are on YouTube. But Then that's fine, except that, and that's good for the end user, right? That's that part sorted. However, unless you assess it and you have evidence that they understand and and you work out what they don't understand, then as an organization, you're not protecting yourself because you don't have any proof Mm. that they have been trained, that they understood the message, and you don't have any evidence to show the gaps where you need to now close off that misunderstanding or the piece they might have missed so this is a two-pronged thing it's all very well showing someone a video here jump on there watch a video but as an organization how do I show that I actually have done what I'm supposed to do according to my duty of care so microlearning's is different from video because video is video but microlearning has assessment and it should have reporting but many of these platforms don't so
0: Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, the only way to find out if you're not being successful is accidents and that's so Great. indirect. And, and then the question is, <laughs> what specifically did they not understand? Or No, yeah.
1: no. And, and also, how often did I need to reinforce that message? Well, we know quite regularly. You can't just do manual handling in, in January and go, oh yeah, that's it for the year, you know, for example. And you can't just do... Like you might have a near miss, for example. There might be an incident where somebody has done something and almost ended in an injury or fatality. Perfect time to run them through a micro-learning piece on that particular topic as a toolbox session or a safety talk or everyone just get on your phone for the next 10 minutes and do this course to reinforce blah, blah, because we got really close today.
0: Mm -hmm. So Yeah, it's a good way to harness motivation. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, and and it, look, it's not a blame game on the worker. It's not saying, you know, you're all useless and you're all going to get hurt. It's just trying to be proactive to say, look, we did actually get close today or we're worried about it, or we can see our incidents rising, heaven forbid. But hey, we want to make sure you're okay. And as an organization, that is our responsibility. As a safety manager, that is what we're supposed to be doing fundamentally.
0: Yeah. Okay. So now we've talked about different media and their kind of pros and cons. What about language? You did mention this earlier, but how how important is it to get the right voice, the right tone? What does it look like to do it right or to do it wrong? It's very difficult.
1: <laughs> I, I imagine, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We spend a lot of time worrying about, you know, which voice is appropriate. We believe when we can, it's best to have the language as the country's language when we can. So we're rapidly translating our courses into different languages to try and make sure that there's good understanding. It's hard to do as well by the way. You can't just, mm. you know, put Google Translate on. Google Translate's great for probably about 90% of the time, but you're talking safety here and you're talking nuanced safety terms and just as an example, we were trying to translate a slip and trip hazard, for example, right? And Google decided trip was a vacation or a holiday. (laughs) So we had a a slip and holiday hazard, right? But but it's not, (laughs) of course it's not. So it it needs um, native language speakers to make sure you've actually got accuracy when you're translating. So that's something people need to watch. When you see these safety platforms that say, hey, we've translated into 40 languages. Well, what did they do? Did they just use Google Translate? And then you look at the disclaimer at the bottom. We've used AI, you know, it's not 100% accurate. And I'm thinking, whoa, well, I wouldn't use that. Well, then because why, just, yeah. Yeah, I've just exposed myself as a business now because I've just said I've trained you, but I actually haven't trained you because I'm talking about a slip and a holiday.
0: Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> not, yeah, what? No, pointless, pointless. And that's just one example. It happens all the time. But um, in terms of voice, I believe that training needs to have audio. I believe it needs to have subtitles and I believe that it needs to have visuals for language to help. Can you have it in there in different languages? It would be good. There's not many platforms that offer it. It's very time consuming, costly for a platform to do it, but I think it's the way forward. Do you deliver it with a male voice or a female voice? See, no no matter what you do, you're bringing in bias. So it's really hard.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) you're not going to reach perfection but uh
1: no no so you know do you use a female voice to talk about well-being training and you know mental health i personally think no because i think that it actually makes it too emotional i actually think it's better delivered by a male that's just mm-hmm. how we've come to it do you have a male voice delivering safety topics and compliance it's very hard hitting and there's no room for anything i personally prefer a female for that because it's coaching
0: Mm -hmm.
1: i don't know that's probably my
0: bias (laughs) i would agree i would say definitely a male voice for mental health topics because typically men are maybe not uh, encouraged to speak about mental health as much and and maybe coming from a man it's relatable comfortable
1: relatable yeah 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 difficult mary i don't know do you have two versions My goodness! Can you imagine safety platforms with two versions? You'd have like five hundred courses,
0: yeah, (laughs) thousand courses. (laughs) Exactly. Insane. You do. You do your best. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) What about like the type of when I say language, I don't just mean like you know English. Oh no, 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 as in but the type of uh, words, the diction, the content. Yeah. Yes.
1: I personally, or what the way we've gone is, we go in conversational tone. We use storytelling because we know that you know everyone loves a good story it's it doesn't change from childhood right through to adulthood we don't use legalistic terms the health and safety professional has to deal with legal legislation regulation and so on right that's their domain but as a worker on the shop floor i don't need that i don't need to hear section 2.1.1 of the code says abc you know workers need to do little no All I need to know is this is my problem. This is what I've got to do to avoid that problem. Can I solve that myself? Do I need help? Do I use this? Do I whatever? It needs to be in my language. It needs to be in my level of language. Yeah, it cannot be high level.
0: And I would think priority too. If you think about like, if someone's teaching me to put the blade guard on something I'm going to be more motivated by the fact that I may lose a finger if I don't than I am that I'm breaking some oh, yeah. law, some regulation, <laughs> like I, you know. Yeah, I think
1: you need to come from the stance of, look, we're trying to keep you safe. We're trying to make sure you can see the risks involved here. What can happen if it goes wrong? without getting too carried away. So that's the other thing. I see PowerPoint presentations and I see video where they're showing people with fingers sliced off and blood and all the rest of it. There's a clear research showing that if you show a human being something graphic like that, they actually turn off. Mm. It's scary. We don't want to see that. So it's just showing pictures of and images of you know blood spurting and broken bones, etc. You've got to be really careful here. So I think that along the lines of you just sort of say that there is you know the possibility of you know a fracture or, or you know a laceration, etc. But this is how we don't get one. I don't think you need to show bloodied hands with stitches, and you know it's just it's just it's just off-putting. And research shows us that's pointless. You shouldn't do that either.
0: <laughs> so. Okay, well, you've also studied and written about induction training, which from my experience, I think we call it onboarding here, but that might also just be sort of more of an office thing. But in any case, particularly in the construction industry is where you you looked at it. Are there any lessons to be had that are specific to induction training, or do all the same principles apply regardless of why you're training?
1: It's probably both. Induction's your first port of call, first time to train. Now, we call it induction onboarding as well in Australia and around the world. But um, most companies have to do a safety induction or a safety onboarding. If you're an office or in a warehouse, it makes no difference. And that is introducing the company to the person to start with. This is the first time they see who they're working for really. You know, mm-hmm. It's an opportunity to talk about your values and expectation of what we want from you. As you're working for us. You might've got a bit of that in the um, recruitment stage, but that's not the same thing as when you're actually starting work for the company. It's a good time to talk about your vision, mission, values. You know, what do we stand for? Who are we? Where are we going? And so on. It's a good time to talk about fitness for work. Like, you know, as I said, expectation, but what do we mean by being fit? What do we mean? You know, you need to come to work like this, you know, and what we're going to set out to achieve as an organization. Now, that a lot of that is missed in an induction, in an onboarding. They go straight to, oh, we expect you to um, come to work, you know, free of drugs and alcohol, and this is the PPE you should wear. But let's go back a little bit and just talk about who we are first. <laughs> you know, It wouldn't be a bad thing. <laughs> So then from there, yes, you do need to talk about what are the key issues working in this warehouse? What do we need you to do? What do we need to look out for? What are the hazards? What are the control measures we expect you to use? That's the safety induction. You can deliver that really badly. And uh, we see countless examples of mining industry that spend, you'll spend a whole week in onboarding and induction training, which is PowerPoint, 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 PowerPoint. How much do they remember? I think about the first seven minutes. Pointless, you know, pointless. So really, and costly, very costly. So why can't we do that quicker? Why can't we just show, look, these are the issues, this is what you need to do, just short and sharp. But then don't just leave it at that as the only training they receive. Let's do a little bit every month. Another piece on this piece, this is, you know, our 10 golden safety rules or our 10 areas of high risk. Every month, do a little micro-learning on those. So you've just reinforced your induction over the whole year and then in the 12 months' time, many people do a refresher. So a refresher induction. But that doesn't mean you go and have them sit there right from the beginning and do the five days again. <laughs> you know,
0: like, oh, my God. Yeah. And that's know what they do. audience here, yeah. Yeah,
1: for goodness sake. So that's what we're finding. Anyway, there's, there's better ways to induct people or onboard people.
0: Yeah, I would think especially in a high-risk industry. So, you've actually just mentioned some, but what are some of the common mistakes you think that safety professionals make when they're designing or delivering? So, there's, there's death by PowerPoint, there's these long courses that are essentially lectures.
1: I think I'm going to flip that question, Mary. Okay. So, what are the things that they do right? All right. yeah. Perfect. So, yes, because we just mentioned them, right? The long course is death by PowerPoint, Right. Right. Out, out, out. LMS training that's got just Death Bar PowerPoint on your learning management system, same thing, just put it online, same deal, just not someone in the classroom. I think classroom training should be very limited actually, depends on what it actually is and I really think it more should be instructional, not like that. But the things that they do right is regular toolbox sessions, regular training that they do on, you know, bite size building on the various pieces they're wanting to train, using video. Making it short, using micro learning, using evidence based training, as in observation, watching them, just in field visits, just getting out from behind their desk and going to see and talk to the people, asking them, not just looking at the incidents. So it's all, that's all proactive stuff. Let's, let's get out there. Coaching is excellent. You know, mentoring is ex- excellent. Buddying up is also excellent, but also could be a problem because you can also train them the wrong way
0: <laughs> mm, <laughs> when you've yeah. got a buddy
1: right so making sure the buddy yeah. actually knows what they're doing is a good one yeah they teach them the shortcuts which weren't necessarily safe <laughs> 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 yeah that's more it because if i'm just doing my day to day work and you're saying to me hey you know have you considered a b c this is what you're doing right here fantastic but but what about that you know we found that this might be an issue you've just taught me how to do it safely right there and then and that took what 5 minutes
0: yeah. So, short pieces of information, consistency. Yes. And building
1: and regular. Yeah. Yep. Regular. Just building that okay. knowledge and so on, and also allowing them to have a voice to be able to explain how they do it, why they do it, and and perhaps perhaps we've got it wrong. Mm. It's hard. Yeah. We're not doing that job.
0: So. Are there any other first principles or core ideas that you think? Are really universal that safety trainers should kind of start with at the beginning of designing a new training program?
1: I think one of the safety core principles and global principles is our hierarchy of controls. We know that that's a way of eliminating hazards, isolating engineering, substituting, using administrative controls, and then PPE. And it can be a combination of all of those. I think if you have an underpinning methodology of how do I get rid of the problem? If I know, if I can't, how do I control that problem? And if I can't, do I have to just rely on PPE? And if I do, what is that? We use that as our underpinning epistemology and that is a global concept. Mm-hmm. So, and that's just really all about risk and control and highest control for the risk possible to in- complete the job. Because we've got to be able to complete the job. Because we could all just eliminate every hazard and we don't get anything yeah. done. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, we're just not doing that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but that's not going to work, right? So, yeah, I just find that that's fairly universal. And if people can understand the hierarchy, what is it, then I think we're, we're um, halfway there as well. And the problem is they don't even know what it is. The, the shop floor worker doesn't even know what it is. They don't train it so
0: no and it's uh it really is a, a method to question your assumptions right instead of saying okay well we need better ppe well let's step back do we really need ppe do we have to even do it this way or, that's or,
1: exactly right could we design yeah. it out beforehand and you know therefore eliminate the issue in the first place but uh, and that's all about designing the job of you know looking at the design before you actually do the job but yeah there's lots of lots of different you know, methodologies and epistemologies around all of that. You know, Job design is a critical thing, not just in physical safety, but in psychological safety, job design is massive.
0: Tell me a bit about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay.
0: <laughs> I know we're going off a little bit on a tangent, but just well, quickly. <laughs>
1: in Australia and um, I believe in Canada as well and a, and a few other countries around the world, uh, they're actually starting to have a look at physical and psychological safety as A psychosocial environment a safe environment to work in and they're bringing the two areas in together which they should do because if you're not present at work as in present not thinking because you're busy with a an issue that's affecting your mental health because or your well-being if you like it does lead to the opportunity of having an incident because you're distracted so psychological safety is you know really important so um where were we headed with this, Mary? Sorry, what we were thinking? I've just lost what I was going You're to talking say.
0: Talking about first principles, first principles, and yeah. then the hierarchy of controls. And oh yes, back. applying
1: that. Yes, applying that hierarchy to psychological safety is Designing. what they Yeah, is what they're trying to do. So they're trying to do job design and use the hierarchy, which is a pretty big step, to eliminate the impact on mental health and well-being. And if not. Change the job so that we reduce the risk on mental health and well-being, and if not, you know, use um, administrative controls or, or policies to try and negate them as well. So they're trying to apply the hierarchy of controls to psychological safety. So that's that's a big. That's a big mental leap even for <laughs> for most people.
0: It is. It is. But,
1: but job I've design, you that, know, work hours, flexibility. Um, COVID's done all this as well. You know, they've had us, you know, quite a lot of us all working from home and now there's this big issue of how, do, do we have to come back to work at all or can we work from home? Do we have this opportunity to change the way we do things now? Do we have to go back to that 40 hours in the office? So, and there's a big push from organizations trying to get us back into the office, but there's an awful push back from workers yes, who I do not want to go back because they're far <laughs> yeah. more comfortable working from home. And then the question is, are they productive? Well, in our case, I find actually they're better, but that's my business. But um, do others have that or are people just watching Netflix? I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, so that was a little bit of a tangent, so I'll, I'll bring yes. us back now to, to training. I just, you know, it was a fun rabbit hole. So what would your advice be to, say, a listener who wants to look over their existing training program and evaluate it for some of the things we've talked about it today? So rather than, you know, redesign a whole program, are there small tweaks that they can make to improve the training that they have?
1: Well, yes. So a lot of companies have already got a learning management system They've, you know, put a lot of money in and they've got quite a lot of courses in there. I would just suggest they mix it up a bit. Is it such a bad thing to hyperlink out to another platform just to give a bit of variety? Is it such a bad thing maybe to have a training provider develop something for you if you have that actual budget to do just to give you something else? And if you don't have that. Can you produce your own bit of video or can you get something off YouTube that's, you know, copyright free and, there, and there's a lot? Can that go into yours just as a little bit of, a, a bit of interest? Can you use apps to cut a video? There's plenty of tools on there to be able to cut a video yourself and, and place a little bit in. Yeah, you just have to mix it up. And I also think you need to do things more regularly. So you need a training needs analysis done to see what you need to do for the year, what you're going to focus on, and you actually need to do it. So yeah, just more regular variety. You can't just have course after course after course as PowerPoint, and and they're still doing it. Just PowerPoint and assessment, PowerPoint assessment, read this, read that, read this. If you're just relying on reading, I think you're, you're losing quite a few of your people because reading may not be their skill.
0: Yeah. And I would think that even if you have a program that you maybe you've inherited it or you think, okay, this isn't great. I don't have the budget to overhaul everything. Maybe you could add in, okay, well, let's start adding in toolbox talks or let's start adding in these, these micro learning experiences or yeah.
1: Let's start adding in a little bit of observation and just in situ visits. Let's just go and chat to people. Mm-hmm. That's difficult. You've got to sort of get trust because people don't really like watch you watching them and <laughs> talking about what they do. But, you know, once you start doing that regularly, they get used to you being there. So, but once again, that's time. How much time have they got? How much resources have they got? It's really difficult. Um, I, I understand their dilemma <laughs> with what to do to try
0: and make it better. Okay. Well, now I have a few questions that I ask all my guests. So the first one I'm going to call. The University of Sioux. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. It's not Sioux for everyone, just for you. Okay. What core human skills are the most important, do you think, to develop in tomorrow's safety professionals? Oh. Meaning soft skills, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Okay. Communication. Absolutely. Learning how to listen, really listen, actively listen, how to communicate in a language. which is what we're talking about before with the person that you're talking to. So it doesn't mean talking down to them, just being alongside them. That's all, just talking. I think that communication will open up a whole lot of um, can of worms of all the things that are happening that you didn't know <laughs> were happening. And that's nothing to do with training. That's just, just as a human being. It's just communication, talking, getting out from behind the desk and actually going to talk to people.
0: Wouldn't be good? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, and then you just, as a, you know, as a side effect, you develop trust, right? The trust that yes, you, need you do. To, you do, and empathy. To do your job.
1: Empathy that helps not only in physical safety but psychological safety. They will talk to you about it now, you know. So that important, really important. Particularly, um, and, and I shouldn't say that it's being sexist, but particularly with men, you know, they don't talk as much. So it's good if we can get them to talk. So we know that. Okay.
0: If you could travel back in time and speak to yourself at the beginning of your career and you could only give young Sue one piece of advice, what do you think it would be?
1: Oh, the Nike saying, just do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a good one. Just yep. do it. Just do it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> only because, you know, you, you doubt yourself all the way through your life. Most people do. Am I doing it right? Am I the right person? You know, am I? is this the right path? Yeah, it is. Your gut will tell you what you should do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just do it. Just do it. So what? If you make a mistake, fix it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just do
0: it. Sounds good. So uh, let's get practical. I, I ask at the end for our guests to offer their, maybe the best resources that they might recommend for listeners who want to learn more on the topic. So could be books, could be podcasts, websites.
1: I listen to one out of Australia called Safety on Tap. That's a podcast. Uh, the reason I do is like Andrew Barrett just goes around the edges. It's, it's all sorts of different topics. He's very much into learning teams and communication, so it's quite interesting. But It's not the normal way of thinking about safety. Sometimes I listen to it and go, what? But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the other one uh, I find quite interesting out of the US is Saferpedia. They compete with us um, on, with their safety training, but they they put out good podcasts as well. Tamara um, Paris does it. So um, those two. In terms of books, look, anything that really takes your fancy. I mean, obviously, as an academic, I've gone through the whole, you know, Hognagal stuff, the Deming stuff, the Drucker stuff and so on. It just depends on where you're at. You know, you might want to do lean, you might want to do oh stuff on psychosocial safety there's things on that just yeah it's, it's too hard to name who and what yeah there's so much yeah
0: just follow your nose and just do it <laughs> yeah exactly
1: <laughs> Just exactly. do exactly <laughs> yeah exactly just do it if there's a gap then google it and find what you should do there's plenty of books on amazon
0: <laughs> yeah exactly so where can our listeners find you on the web
1: Okay, all right. So um, my company is Tap Into Safety, as um, the lovely Mary said, and I uh, just www or dot dot is our website. I have a LinkedIn profile as well. So Dr. Suzanne Barn. Um, I've got a lot of connections around the world. So you might find somebody in my connections that you know. So yeah, that's us. Yep, our training platforms there. Please have a look. <laughs> yeah please have a try certainly different to um, other training platforms around the world and um, yeah i'd love to hear your feedback
0: great okay well that's all the time we have for today my thanks to the safety labs team our listeners and of course dr suzanne bond
1: thank you very much mary it's been great fun
0: Safety Labs is created by Slice, the only safety knife on the market with a finger-friendly blade. Find us at SliceProducts.com. Until next time, stay safe.